It's the Pop My Culture Podcast with your hosts, Cole Stratton and Vanessa Ragland. Hey, welcome to the Halloween episode Ooh. of the Pop My Culture Podcast. I'm Cole Stratton. And I'm a haunted kitty cat. Meow. <laughs> also known as... Vanessa Ragland. Hey, V. Hi, Cole. Hey, uh, really excited about our guest for this Halloween episode. It's so spooky. Uh, it's, a, it's a haunted guest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, he's just he's responsible for a lot of my favorite monster yeah. movies growing up. Uh, awesome guy smart and funny and yeah nobody knows horror well maybe some other people but few people know horror like he does yeah and just movies in general he's a yeah. very knowledgeable cool guy a writer director uh and we'll bring him out a few uh before we do that uh, he's in a coffin right now <laughs> Uh, a little bit of housekeeping per usual. Um, Getting the cobwebs out of the mansion. <laughs> we got to exercise the demons before we bring out our gifts. Paula Dean's back, y'all. That's right, y'all. <laughs> Put a little south in your mouth. Uh, our t-shirts are finally here Yay! and for sale. And they look great. They're yeah. really nice shirts. Yeah, they're by Alternative Apparel. They're nice and soft. Um, I, yeah, It's I, a nice lightweight t-shirt. Mm-hmm. We've washed them and they hold up well on the wash. Yep. And... Yeah, I'm a big fan of the shirts. Yeah, the design was by Len Peralta. He's um, amazing. He's he's great. Uh, job on radio, as yeah. he is known on Twitter. Uh, and we're very excited that they're finally here. And uh, they're only $15 plus uh, shipping fees. So yep. um, we're not really marking them up, people. No, we're just, <laughs> we're just trying to pay ourselves back. That's right. So, That's the kind uh, of business we're doing. If you want Vanessa on your boobies <laughs> hey uh, come and check this shirt out, would you? They're I available. love to ride people's right boob. Or am I on the left boob? No, I'm on the right boob. You would be on the right boob. Yeah. I'd be on the left boob. I'm on the right boob. <laughs> you on the right one. boob. Baby. Baby. Uh, so yeah, they're on our website, popmyculturepodcast.com. There should be a little merch store set up there. Merch. Uh, so come on by and, uh, please get one. Come on by and buy. <laughs> I spelled it two different ways That's when right. I was talking. That's right. B-Y-N-B-U-Y. <laughs> you got it. Uh, <laughs> if you like our show. Yes. Uh, go on iTunes. Leave mm-hmm. a little review. Uh, if you are girl t 22 you needn't review again. <laughs> <laughs> Did not care for our show. Uh, that's okay, but uh, you could just not care for it and not tell us because yeah. it hurts our feelings. We've been eating a lot of ice cream this week. We're sensitive <laughs> artists. Uh, but yeah, if you leave a, a nice review there, it helps bring more ears to the podcast. And uh, yeah, thank we, you very appreciate much. Appreciate it. Uh, we are completely listener supported. Yes, ma'am. So uh, there is a donate button on our website, popmyculturepodcast.com. Every little bit helps. It certainly does. And we have some people that donated that we'd like to thank. Um, no, but- we wouldn't. Not us. But we brought some spooky friends here to the set that might like to thank them for us. That's right. It is Halloween, so gentlemen. I'm a lady. Oh, sorry. Draculina. Hello. Hey, guys, it's me, the Wolfman. Hello, Wolfman. <laughs> really, really excited to be here to help thank. Uh, I want to thank some friends. Yes, let's do this, shall we? Uh, you are hairy man. Uh, yes, I am. Very hairy man. Uh, you're, uh, you're very vampy. I can't even see your veins through all your hair. Well, yeah. You're no better sparkling out in the sunlight there. Well, I am a sparkly, sparkly vampire. Yes. Well, let's thank some people, shall we? Okay, doggy. Okay. Uh, First up, uh, Hayden. Hayden. I want to thank Hayden for giving the money to the podcast of our very good friends, Vanessa and Cole. Hayden, thanks. Your ace is in my book. What's Sorry, happening? I, to I you? knew that. It's my thing. It's what, what I do. Uh, second up, Janelle. 
Janelle, I want to thank Janelle. I have a sort of a catchphrase. It's, it's a thing I do. I don't, unfortunately. All I got is nards. But thank you, Janelle, for donating. Keep your to, nards to, to yourself. You're an animal. It's, it's what I do. It's my thing. No, really? Finally, uh, we'd like to thank uh, Carly. Carly, you are really nice. Thank you, Carly. Uh, we are uh, oh, lucky oh, no. up. Hey, oh, lucky oh, my up. God. Oh. 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 What can I do? Oh, I'll kill this guy. That's a very believable action finale. Thanks. <laughs> that was some good stuff. Yeah, that was a really good thank you. It was like a radio play. Right. And and I'm sorry for everybody who clicked off in the middle of that. Said there was never more again. show to come. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm really excited for our guest. Me let's, too. Let's bring him out, let's shall we? Let's cut the mustard and get let's the ketchup out here. Do it. Our guest today uh, is very appropriate for the Halloween episode. He's the writer-director of uh, The Monster Squad, as well as Night of the Creeps and several other films. Fred Decker is here. Hi, Fred. Hey, hi. How are you? Awesome. Uh, me too. I'm just as awesome. Good. <laughs> awesome is good. Not that it's a contest. <laughs> I'm pretty bitchin'. Oh, I okay. I don't know if I'm awesome today. I'm bitchin', definitely no, bitchin'. No, you, you look bitchin', though. Okay, cool. You have the cool leather jacket and right. all that chest hair all over the place. Cool. Several toothpicks. If I spit one out, the next one just goes right in. <laughs> That's so gross. Uh, well, so, yeah. so awesome is passe now, because I yeah. use it all the time. No, it's no, no, not. No, it is. I think bitchin', bitchin, I, is, I, admittedly, no, bitchin is passe. Admittedly, bitchin' is old, but I still use awesome. And cool, I use a lot, too. Yeah. I yeah. think awesome and cool. What if they I just usually passive? usually I'm awesome. It's just today I just don't think I'm awesome. I think I'm bitching. I know I get it's that. It's just the day. You know, Mondays are hard for me to feel awesome. Well, it's not Monday, but it but will be Monday when we release be. it. That's right. So you you're... need to build up, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Monday's too One early in the week to be awesome. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes sometimes I'm radical. Sometimes I'm boss. When are you, you tubular? Know? I'm not really tubular Never. anymore. No. No. Who, I don't think anybody ever really was tubular. Just I don't think some so. Ninja Turtles, maybe. Right? Yeah. I think they... Yeah, they're kind of the only ones. Yeah. <laughs> really. <laughs> Turtle time, bitches. And maybe somebody who's actually sitting in an inner tube going down a lazy river. Yeah. You or say, if you have tuberculosis. So, mm. like, a lot of Edgar Allan Poe's characters were totally... How come there was never parabular? <laughs> yeah. If it's going to be a I shape... I think something if it's is going to happen now. If it's going to be shape-based, you know, uh, lingo. Yeah, totally parabular, dude. dude. you're parabular. <laughs> I just made good. that up right here. That's really good, <sighs> and I think it's about to hit the kids in a big way. <laughs> I think I probably wasn't the only one, but like in junior high school when it's My Prerogative by Bobby Brown was out. Whenever My we were, parabola. Yeah, whenever we were ma- doing <laughs> stuff on our mapping calculators and math class, you could hear throughout the classroom, it's My Parabola. <laughs> The way that I want a graph. Yep. Gross. Pretty awesome. But spooky. speaking of spooky and awesome, this is actually this first thing is very spooky and awesome. Yeah. Lindsay Lohan. Full naked. Going full on nudie for Playboy. No parts covered. For $1 million. Seriously, $1 million. Yeah. Biscuits out, everything. <laughs> I don't know which parts are your biscuits, but everything. Everything is out. Oh, Lindsay. I hope this goes well for her. I was talking to someone who said, um, like, what's the career plan after this? And I don't, I don't really think it's a map down. Well, there's several other magazines. Oh. (laughs) No, I don't know what it is. You know, it's, it's funny to me. Like the other day I was, I was watching, I can't remember what movie it was, but Emma Stone was in it. And I was like, it could be any movie in the last year. Yeah, pretty much. But I was like, (laughs) Emma Stone has the career now that Lindsay Lohan kind of was going to have. Yeah. At least that's kind of how I feel. Oh, absolutely. Same sort of parts, yeah. same sort of trajectory, same sort of, you know. I don't think it's a bad thing that she's doing this because why not? 
Why not? A million dollars? We've seen most of it anyway. To get a million dollars to have it beautifully shot and photoshopped? Giddy up. Right. Low hand. Well, at this point too, it's not like she's got this sterling reputation that she needs oh, to defend. She's been kind of been a train wreck to, for a while. Hey, you watch your mouth. <laughs> she's doing time in the morgue, community service in the morgue right now. Isn't that the creepy? That's a Halloween thing. That's a reality show, if you ask me. Morgue. I could I'm very trying well to think be. Morgan Mindy and. If I were Lindsay's <laughs> manager, who I think is her mom or her dad. Yeah, one of them. Whoever. <laughs> um, I would say that's a better way to make a million bucks. It'll take I, longer I to make a million bucks. True. But, but it's not a one-shot deal. But but then you don't Lindsay have naked L- pictures on the internet either. I mean, it's a win-win. Like, you have a morgue show. I just show. think Lindsay Lohan working at a morgue, I mean, it may only it may only be one show's worth of entertainment. Right. <laughs> I think, I think they true. could stretch it out to three seasons at least. There was this reality contest show that was on the Sci-Fi Channel before they became Siffy. As I like to call them now. <laughs> S-Y-F-Y. Sounds like a disease. Yeah. Whenever I look at that, siffy. I go, oh, God. Yeah. I contracted Siffy. <laughs> Before Siffy happened, uh, they had this... It was only like one season, and I could not get enough of it. It was called A State of Panic. And a State of Panic? A State of Panic. And it was this haunted mansion, basically. And it was hosted by this guy. I can't think of his name. He was an actor who... Howie like, Mandel. No. Uh, who was like a great like kind of like... Like scary host of this of this place that it's full of money, Tony but does. it's also full of danger and scary things. And then teams would go into these rooms, and you start by going to this one room that's like the haunted attic or whatever. And you go in the attic, and there's tons of mice and rats and other stuff. They just put, Real? they put, yeah, Real they mice put and these, rats yeah, they put these things in there to make it scary. But then they've also put like piles of money, and you grab as much money as you Yuck. can, and you just try to get out before the time's up. But if you're the last person in the room, you're eliminated. So you got to be greedy, but not too greedy because you need to get back. <laughs> out but you need to get as much money as you can but sometimes it's freaky i'm really worried about the mice and then they <laughs> would eliminate somebody based on that and then they go to the next room that kind of thing and then the like final thing was like Yuck. for like a big sum of money and it was three people and it was like something really creepy like you're going through graves and stuff yeah it was Ew. pretty hilarious no I, kind of, I kind of loved it it was really campy and theatrical the host stuff i'll look into that <laughs> State of panic, people. <laughs> now Give that's a what a game see. show should be, and reality show. Yeah, rats and money. <laughs> rats and money. Actually, most game shows are kind of rats and money. When I you think, think that it. does really? boil down what a game show is. <laughs> <laughs> we should just call it that. Just fully make hey, one. There you go. To it. Rats <laughs> and money. money. Every episode's different, but the gist is the same. <laughs> <laughs> These assholes want cash. <laughs> <laughs> Let's meet our next asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go full hog. Unleash the rats. But they also had like spiders and snakes. Oh, okay. And, you it know, all sorts of rats. things that would creep you out. That's an, I don't like that game. Look, it gave a lot of work to tarantulas. <laughs> Finally. That, you the know, tarantula union. Hadn't worked in a while. <laughs> Since Home Alone. Yeah, home, yeah that's the last time. <laughs> it's my tarantula. <laughs> got eight legs at least. <laughs> I've got eight legs at least. <laughs> That's the next part of my tarantula. There are some with more. Yeah, regular Ira Gershwin with your lyric writing. Oh, thanks. Of course. You've always wanted to be compared to him. I know yeah. that. This is my look. <laughs> I'm impressed you know that he was the lyricist. And George is the music guy. That's right. Yep. You can be my George. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> do, 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 do. Um, another thing I want to talk about is... Uh, 
it's this big thing going on where DirecTV on November 1st, which will technically be tomorrow after this is released, is losing FX, most of their Fox networks, and all sorts of stuff. And uh, it's just DirecTV. They couldn't work out a deal with Fox. Um, where are they going? Do I have DirecTV? No. Okay. I'm so you're, you're good. <laughs> I'm you're good. Really you can panicking. still you can still get it if you get like you know digital cable or Comcast or like any of those things. Still, they they all reached an agreement with Fox, but Directv didn't. There there's like a lot of he said she said going on of like, Who's well she? Fox is holding out. Well, which one is she? Called? Maybe it's he said he said. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, they're not making a deal. No, it's Directv. They're you know because they're the most powerful provider right now. They're like, no, we're not going to renegotiate with you, and they're holding tough on it. So on November 1st, they go away. So Kurt Fuller, the guy that does Sons of Anarchy, which is an FX show, is like, and he's outspoken anyways because his Twitter feed is always like, you know, FDMEs. Which one is he? Um, is he bald? Is he that man? No, Mike, no. no that's Michael I know who you're thinking of. You're thinking of uh, the actor who played um, Werner Klemperer in Autofocus. Am I? Kurt Fuller. Yeah, yeah, Kurt Fuller. Yeah, Another yeah, yeah. Kurt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's this Kurt's name? Uh, it's Kurt Fuller. Oh, two of them? <laughs> <laughs> Kurt Sutter. Kurt Sutter. Kurt Sutter. Uh, yeah. And so he has been like vocal about like, you know, Fox is trying to work this out. DirecTV sucks. And so like on all of FX last week, um, in between every commercial break and Sons of Anarchy, he'd come out and they just ran a thing saying like, you know, hey, you still want to keep your nets? Go to keepmynets.com and – you know, let them know and keep your nets. Keep my nets because there's Fox Sport Net. Like oh. all the channels are these Fox channels. So there's this big holdout happening right now, and all these people are pissed. But I don't know what's going to end up happening with it. Occupy Direct TV. <laughs> That's go. what's going to happen. I don't know how people are going to do it. <laughs> That's how passionate people are. <laughs> we are going to take to our living rooms to show the one percent. Well, it's that I we mean, want our nets. The, the two people mostly affected by it are like Me hardcore sports people that want their Fox Sports thing so they can watch their like pregame and postgame stuff. Because you can still pay for your packages and you'll get the games, but you won't get like the pre and post stuff. And then the people that watch FX because you have Sons of Anarchy, you have Justified, you have that new American Horror Story show. Oh yeah. Um, so there are people that are you know really miffed about that. Have you guys seen American Horror Story yet? I haven't. I have not. It looks crazy. I just read the Entertainment Weekly thing about, that says TV just got weird. And I read about it and I had got a Got night- weird. I know, right? <laughs> I think they need to relook at their networks. But I had a nightmare from reading about American Horror Story. It's like your game show you described, except for there's murderers in the basement. <laughs> That's what I'm gathering. That's what my game show was missing. <laughs> Actual physical danger that could have happened. Damn. Oh. This time on Rats and Money, somebody <laughs> gets sliced. Sweet Week, right? Yeah. So that's when they do that. Well, I'm a big fan of that show with the obstacle courses. What, what's that? Wipeout? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big fan of that. But I can't help but watch it and feel like they're cutting out the horrible you know, neck injuries. Oh, yeah. There's got to be paralysis and death from that. Gotta I get be. too nervous to look at it even. Yeah. Any of those water games? Ooh. You know what I'm talking about? Like where they pretend that it's, again, rats and money. Like you're yeah. woobling around on things. Yeah. yeah, it's like over water and some guy jumps, doesn't make it, hits his head and Ooh. spills. Well, they're hitting rubber oh. and it's all padded, but I can't help but feel that somebody's going to hit something wrong at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. They probably already have a lot. Maybe. Wipe out. And that's Wipe on out. the blooper reel on the DVD. <laughs> uh Wipeout gets real. Brought to you by Joe Francis. <laughs> well, all you got to do Titties is put, put Benny Hill music under it and occasional sound effects. And it won't be scary. Fast motion. Yeah, exactly. Whoa, oh, there goes his spinal cord. 
Like that I would watch, right? <laughs> Ernest Borgnine? Is that who does the tootie noises when he like plays the piano and then he's like... Uh, that's Victor Borga, oh. not Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> Academy Award winner for Marty. Sits down at a piano and starts farting and making noises. <laughs> that seems about right. Oh my gosh, oh. a lot of things just got cleared up you to me. You just made but... my day. <laughs> you just made my day. I would pay to see that. If you know Ernest Borgnine toured his little one-man show where he just comes on stage, does a monologue from something, and then sits down at a piano and makes running noises for an hour. <laughs> You'd love to tell people about it. Wait, here's a question. What's that the guy's name? Victor Borga? Victor Borga. Is he renowned? Or No, he's just the the guy that does that. Okay. And I'm would... shocked you guys even know who this is. I mean he probably died fifty years ago. Probably. It's you guys it's like you next year you're gonna be talking about Jimmy Durani. Oh, boy, he sure was it. funny, boy. <laughs> God. Well, they used to always run ads for the Victor Borga video cassettes. Yeah, that's what like, I'm remembering. Like, I think on Nickelodeon and things like yeah. that. Like, it would just come Or TV Land. Yeah, TV oh, yeah. Land, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So they'd always pop up there. And that's why I was thinking, he looked like a concert pianist. <laughs> yeah. He was a really good piano player. Say right. what you will. Well, his one bit, the bit I always remember is he would start to play something that sounded weird. Yeah. And then he'd go, oh, and he'd turn the sheet music over. Yeah. And then he would play it normal, like he was playing it backwards, and that was the, <laughs> the big joke. I hope he's still alive. Fool me, Here's piano man. to you, Victor Borga. <laughs> Dude, is he I dead? I hear champagne glasses clinking. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's him young. That's him looking young. at a picture. Yeah. It's usually like him with his crazy white hair and yeah. tails. And... and he looks a lot like Ernest Borgna. Not at all. Not at all. I'd like to see a side-by-side <laughs> comparison. Can we pull that up on the screen? <laughs> Doing that now here in the studio. <laughs> here we go. They're basically indecipherable. Which one is which? I don't know <laughs> if you could ever say that Ernest Borgnine was, oh, look at this handsome picture of Ernest Borgnine. He's like a very charactery looking guy. Like Maybe in his early, early years. Maybe. You can never tell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Laughing at a picture of Ernie, but it's it's relatively recent. So, and he's in his he's like ninety. Yeah, and he's still he's still working, still working. Yeah, pops up movies all the time. Way to go, Ernie! I'm sorry. I'm wait. Is that Victor Borga? Oh, we're we're looking at Ernest Borgnine. That looks like Marty, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I think that is from Marty. (laughs) I thought that it was really uncanny that they'd age so similarly. (laughs) 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 Okay, moving on from that. Wait, I had some... Oh, yeah, this is just stupid, but I love it. The Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh, this is really funny. Billy Ray Cyrus tweeted that he saw his first UFO. <laughs> or four of them. He tweeted a photo of it. Yeah. And it looks like there's, like, four little dots on the horizon. Uh, and then he tweeted, Okay, my first UFO sighting. Looks like five or six, six disc-like shapes hovering. Special moment for Dad. <laughs> Then he's like, this is the moment where I'm most a father, when I see these UFOs in the distance. So he sent this to Miley or to everybody? To everybody. Everyone. This is on his Twitter feed. Okay. I like that he started it with, okay. Like, <laughs> okay. are you guys sitting down? <laughs> Take a deep breath. That's right. Because here it is. Billy Ray is about to knock your socks off. No, not a new album, guys. Mm-mm. Even and better. Not in the studio right now. No. But. I just realized I have plans to expand in the universe. <laughs> that would open up your markets. The Universal. Universal. Wait, here's a question. Oh, here we go. <laughs> have you guys ever read an entertainment contract? Oh yeah, they're crazy. They have I that just in give them. them to other they people. have that in them. If it goes beyond the galaxy, Base, there's there is yeah. The phraseology essentially suggests that <laughs> that the TV or show or movie that you're writing 
eventually after it falls into the me- the media that we have here on Earth. <laughs> if it's beamed into outer space. I mean, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's a little bit freaky. Oh, my gosh. Have yeah, you those guys things ever are hilarious because you realize that somebody had to think of that. You know what I mean? Well, that's what lawyers do. It's all they do. Yeah. They I, cover their butts yeah. even if it even if the butt is, is a galactic is a butt. Galactic butt. <laughs> even like when I used to work at uh, a video store, I got acquired by Blockbuster. And I was about to leave for college anyways. Empire so Records. I wasn't gonna work there much longer anyways. And uh, So you stole a bunch of uh, yeah, man. so much <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but like in the con like there's a huge like employee contract and guidebook and stuff for the Blockbuster stuff. They need to like read the big guidebook and then like sign off on it. And there's a section on in like inventing stuff. <laughs> if you invent something while on company time, so like let's say you're on the clock and you're like, Oh, I've figured cancer. out time travel. Right. Blockbuster owns the patent on that. It's like in the thing. Like, how can you enforce that? I don't know. And who would be stupid enough to be like, so I was at Blockbuster on my shift when I thought of this awesome time travel device? Don't tell anyone. Don't tell them. You were on your own time. You were home. It's yeah. just that's just crazy to me that like somebody a had to think about that and b thought that somebody who like worked at Blockbuster would invent anything. Well, you know that someone's gotten screwed. Like the inventor of something, right? Thought of it there, and they're like, oh, like the rewinder machines. What if the guy? <laughs> the guy was like, oh, remember when they? We don't even have VHS anymore, but it was like, please be kind, rewind. Or they had to put it through the rewinder machine. Yes, we had rewinders. So what if the person that used to put them just in regular VCRs, which were very expensive, was like, man, I'm going to patent a rewinder machine. And he did it all at the company, and Blockbuster got no money. And he probably wouldn't have thought of it if he weren't working at Blockbuster. Exactly. See, that's a little different than a time machine. Yeah. True. You're on Blockbuster. The rewinder. No, I'm actually not. I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> I think that's absolutely ridiculous. I'm, I'm a big, in, in all seriousness, I'm a big intellectual property guy. It's so we, scary. We can talk about this yeah. later, but uh, I have, we can I, talk about it now. I have a soapbox about this, about something very specific we can talk about later. Well, let's talk about it now. Why not? I think George Romero should be paid for every flesh-eating zombie movie, TV show, or comic book. Yeah? Because he and John Russo wrote a movie called Night of the Living Dead in 1968. Before that movie was written... Zombies were generally kind of voodoo-inspired somnambulists, you know, sleepwalking. They didn't eat flesh. They weren't, there was no virus. It didn't pass on to the next person. All of that is from a movie called Night of the Living Dead. So Shaun of the Dead, Zombieland, The Walking Dead, just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Right? All are based on an idea that George Romero and John Russo wrote in 1968. Now, there was a copyright snafu. When they made the movie, they called it Night of Anubis. And then they decided to change the title. This is George Romero. How <laughs> <laughs> would that be? Um, and, and when they did new prints of Night of Anubis and called it Night of the Living Dead, they neglected to put the um, copyright on it. So the actual copyright on the film itself. So for many years, Night of the Living Dead was in the public domain. Which means you could dupe oh, it, you right. could dupe you it and sell it, and no, yeah. Yeah. nobody could sue you. Um, but that was all the late '60s, and then into the early '70s, when Dario Argento came to, to to George and said, "You know, I'll give you the money to make another, to make a follow-up," and that became Dawn of the Dead, which I think is arguably the best zombie movie ever made. Um, but somewhere along the line, oh, and then there was also Return of the Living Dead, which I think was through Russo, who was. Romero's partner, he said, can I make my own zombie movie with some of the same ideas? 
So whenever you hear about eating brains, this is real nerd stuff, guys. Whenever you hear about eating brains, that's from Return of the Living Dead. That's not from the George Romero Night of the Living Dead. So Romero made three. He made Night of the Living Dead. Oh, he made way more than that. I forgot about the more recent ones. But the, the, the trilogy is Night, Dawn, and Day of the Dead, which is my personal favorite. Somewhere along the line, about 10, 15 years ago, people started doing movies and comic books and Video games, uh, Resident Evil is a ripoff. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, the rip. I mean, if I sat down and started writing the ripoffs, I'd have a list of pages long. All of them are based. on... I didn't even know that. I all of them the are based on further back. All of them are based on Night of the Living Dead. There were no flesh-eating, virus-infected zombies who caused the end of the world before that. And all of these things are now based on that. But Romero doesn't get a penny. So bizarre. Because he didn't have the phalanx of lawyers that say Disney. Or Fox, right? Or mm-hmm. I mean, if if you tried to do a Star Wars movie, yeah. If you just change the names, this place takes place on Tatooine. We won't call it Tatooine, but we'll have the stormtroopers are just going to be kind of bad weather troopers. Or, 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 or no, you have to redesign them. I mean, you have to right. do something yeah. that's your own. But but with with the with the zombies, the whole idea of that movie was it was cheap. How do you make a cheap movie in Pittsburgh on sixteen millimeter and shot in black and white? Well, you don't have a lot of money for special effects or right. makeup, so you just hire extras. You get your friend from down the street, have him put on some grease paint, and shamble around like a zombie. So now the floodgates have opened, and it really bothers me because I feel like that was his idea. Yeah. I think all Thus the... ended the lecture. No, I think <laughs> that's a yeah, really good I... conversation in, in general. Just the idea of intellectual property out here is so... It's just so nebulous and floaty. Like, how do you own your ideas? Who... How is it safe to use them? Well, and, it, it's yeah. tough, too, because, like, you read all the time about people who are suing places because they came in and they pitched a script or a story idea to some studio. They declined it. Yeah. And then, like, two, three years later, all of a sudden, that studio is doing that the exact same, same thing that they And that, that happens to writers or, a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, I have a lot of, you know, young people who are trying to break in, and, and, and they always ask, should I register my script with the Writers Guild? Right. Should I copyright it? And my feeling is if what you have is so if what you have can so easily be ripped off or done by somebody else then what you know what good are you mm. right what do you have to offer if what you ha- if if your idea is so you know easily um um stealable um but it, when it's something specific like yeah. a universe or a concept that gets very sticky, and yeah. I, I, it's it's strange. I feel like I'm kind of in Alice in Wonderland because I'm watching, you know, Walking Dead, and everybody loves Walking Dead, and I like the comic. Yeah, but I'm always wondering where's Romero's name on it, and, mm. and if he's getting the money, and if you know, if he's living a, uh, the life that he deserves to live because he's a wonderful filmmaker, and right, he's and, and all these things have been built off of all his... of these things. If without yeah. him, wouldn't exi- wouldn't right. exist. Right. Yeah, and he's revered, but revered doesn't pay the rent. <laughs> right, the day. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Totally understandable. Uh, well, you started at uh, UCLA, um, where <laughs> you uh, initially you went for English because you didn't get into the film program initially, right? I, I applied to the film department um, at USC and UCLA, and both of them have uh, you know two years of general ed anyway, right? Oh yeah, um, before you can even start playing with cameras. Um, but I was rejected by both film schools. Uh, but I liked the campus at UCLA. It was really I thought it was really cool. Um, so yeah, I was an English major. Awesome. And that's where you, I mean, there's a whole bunch of you guys that came out at the same time. Shane Black was there with you, who you wrote Monster Squad with. Yes. Um, and David Silverman, mm-hmm. uh, the Simpsons director. 
No big deal. He, he lived with us. I'm Jim Hirschfeld, who wrote the Meet the Parents movies. Um, Ed Solomon, Chris Matheson, who wrote uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and uh, Bogus Journey, and the third one, which is on the way. That's right. Um, Very excited about and, that. And Robert Renault and David Arnott and Chris Bertolini, who just did Battle LA. I mean, we all hung out at this place we called the Pad Guys. Um, pad O Guys? Pad O Guys. Because <laughs> we were the guys. Are it you was, Irish? And it was our pad. <laughs> no, it's not like we, we owe the Kirk, we owe the Glenn. No, it was, <laughs> it was a pad of guys, but, but we just think an O with an apostrophe is always funny. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And we'd, you know, watch movies, stay up until 3 o'clock and drink beer. And it was, um, it was, a, it was a good time because we were all sort of f- starting our careers. Right. And, uh, and it was fun. That's awesome. Yeah. It's great to have those connections with people. And I love when you find out about creative people. And that happens a lot with comics, too. You know, that they were either roommates or all in the same oh group. Oh, my God, then- yeah. It's so fun to learn about that. Yeah, and so something like Shane, for instance, was in the. Th- uh, I was an English major. He was actually a theater major, and he was doing a lot of acting before mm-hmm. he started writing. And uh, hmm. and at that time, Tim Robbins had come from New York, and he was starting the Actors Gang with Lee Ehrenberg and Brent Hinckley yeah. and all guys like that. So we all knew each other at a very fertile time. Oh my god! It was really exciting. It was really cool. How did you and Shane first collaborate together, or decide to? Well, all of us were collaborating. I mean, yeah. we'd. Um, We'd make little, you know, videos and Super 8 films and just for fun because we loved, because that's what we did. Right. Um, and then um, some of us, I think I was, Ed, Ed Solomon, I think, was the first to go pro. He, uh, he was actually writing on Laverne and Shirley oh. before he wrote Men in Black and, you know, Leaving Normal and all these other things. And That is so funny that he started on Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. I did not know that until this moment. <laughs> <laughs> that was Ed's first job. And then he was on the Gary Shandling show. It's, it's Gary Shandling show. Before Larry Sanders, yeah. nice. Um, so he was kind of the first of us to actually, you know, plant the flag in in the pro world, right? And then I got lucky with a screenplay, a science fiction script I wrote. I got an agent who's still my manager to this day. Oh wow, David Greenblatt, who I love, and uh, he actually shepherded in a lot of the guys. He, he I, I brought Shane to him, and he signed Shane. And collaborating professionally just came out of the fact that we were all doing it anyway for fun. Yep. Um, dear friend of mine, David Arnott, who's an actor mostly, mm-hmm. and uh, I was stuck on a something. A script, I was stuck on an idea for a script. And we, we, at 2 o'clock in the morning, drinking beers, you know, Shane would say, you know, I got this idea. It's kind of a cop movie. It's kind of like Starsky and Hutch, but maybe it's like Hickey and Boggs, that Bill Cosby, Robert Colt movie, because I want one of the guys to be black, or maybe he won't be, but they'll be cops, and it'll be L.A., and that was Lethal Weapon. Oh, my gosh. So, but we didn't know it was Lethal Weapon. Right. We right. just thought, oh, here's Shane's new, you know, Crazy idea. Right. Um, and then eventually when we started to become pros, you know, I would say to Dave, you know, let me help, help, help me with this. And it'd be a script deal at Paramount. And in fact, Dave wrote Last Action Hero with Shane because, you know, Shane wanted somebody to help him do the heavy lifting. Yeah. And was lonely up there. So, uh, <laughs> so it just grew out of us being pals. That's so great. And I feel like that's from, you know, the different guests we've had and the different people we know. Those are the most... When you find those fertile grounds of people, everybody is inspired by everyone else, and you keep turning out new stuff because everyone's challenging each other just naturally yeah. and having fun doing it. Yeah. We were friends first and collaborators second. Right. Yeah. And that, that I think, creates a, a really good chemistry. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So when you guys did the Monster Squad, that, that came out of an, an idea that you had, right, for like kind of a Little Rascals meets the Universal Monsters? Exactly. I loved the Little Rascals when I was a kid. I watched them on, on TV. 
and uh, and I loved basically all the old black and white comedians. I, uh, the Silence, I think Buster Keaton's a genius. Um, I wasn't so much into Chaplin, but I knew all those guys. And then Laurel and Hardy, who was also with Hal Roach as the Rascals, um, uh, Abbott and Costello. Um, was never much of a Three Stooges buff for some reason. Everyone else loved the Stooges. I was never really into the Stooges. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I'm like a Marx Brothers. Marx Brothers. Brothers. I forgot the Marx Brothers. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. W.C. Fields. I was hugely into W.C. Fields. So, and then when I was uh, probably just becoming a teenager, I started discovering monsters. And I love the Universal Monster films. And particularly the later ones, which were the Monster Rallies, because you got more monsters for your money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and when I discovered Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, it was like I could hear, you know, a choir of angels. Oh like, my this gosh. is the holy grail of my life because it's the two things I love the most. And I watch it. It's actually, that's my Halloween movie. I watch it every year. And boy, it really holds up. It really oh. holds up because it's as creaky as the vaudevillian antics of Bud and Lou are. If you're in the right mood and you get it and you enjoy it, you know, there there's, it's unquestionably fun and they're funny. Yeah. But the monsters are all played straight in that movie, as as much as they can be for a movie made in the late forties. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. you know, Cheney is a little bit uh, melodramatic, and uh, and Bella is is Bella. By the way, Abbott Costello me Frankenstein is the only other time that Bela Lugosi plays the role of Dracula, except for the movie Dracula. Really, true really? story. True, oh my god, true trivia answer. Interesting. Um, anyway, terrific movie, and I loved it, and I loved the Rascals, and yeah, I had this crazy, stupid idea. In the, in the mid-80s, what if the little rascals met the Universal Monsters? And I knew I'd have to come up with my own rascals because you know, Penelope Spheris tried it, and it's, you know, they're of a time. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Buckwheat doesn't work all the time. Buckwheat, that's tricky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the Hand monsters the silver do, bullets, Darla. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's, there's a rascals, is a very early one, where it might not be Buckwheat. It might have been one of his uh, predecessors. Uh, who uh, was so scared he turned white. Oh, no. (laughs) No. I had my favorite dog. Well, I love all the dogs I've ever had, but the dog I had from age like 3 to 16 was named Buckwheat. Um, Not, and like, I feel like that sounds racist. She wasn't a black dog. She just had the best attitude, and I loved Little Rascals. And my we watched like that a lot at my house, and my mom always thought that Buckwheat was so agreeable. She would just say "Ote," mm-hmm. but then like growing up and like introducing your dog to your friend that is an African American is <laughs> oh, really uncomfortable. No. Like this is Buckwheat. You're like, but no. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'd, I'd heard that Whoopi Goldberg actually collects like kitschy. Oh, like mammy stuff. Yeah, I think exactly. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like ceramic things and things like that. But um, what I don't what, what occurs to me just now and never really has before is why because there's also alfalfa. What's with yeah. the, what's with the grain named children? Oh yeah, that's true. What is it? That why is are they named after question. grains? <laughs> this is my friend Barley. <laughs> <laughs> you met quinoa before, haven't you? Wait, quinoa. How do you say your name? <laughs> How's this pronounced? <laughs> How come the rascals are southern? All <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi, we're the Little Rascals. Well, the dog in Little Rascals was Pete, and Pete is also the dog in The Monster Squad. <gasps> oh, little yeah. homage, mm-hmm. dog homage. Mm-hmm. So when you actually got Monster Squad up, Universal passed on it, so you had to kind of redesign the monsters to be similar but not exact. What's funny to me about that mostly is that essentially Universal's position was these characters don't mean anything to us. 
What? Which is ridiculous. Is that true? The, I mean, of course it's true. You're yeah. saying that. Yeah. These characters mean nothing to us. There's nothing to be gained from this library of characters. They're old news. Whoa. That's crazy. My, how the times have changed, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it was a crazy idea for a movie. Anyway, what was the question? Uh, you had to redesign them, basically. Yes, we did. Similar, we, but... Right, and we had a genius, rest in peace, the great Stan Winston, who, uh, like me, was a, a, you know, a monster nerd as a kid. Yeah. And so he was you know, chomping at the bit to do it. And it was, it was wonderful. It was a great, great time because we knew we, they had to be recognizable for our purposes. Right. Right. Um, but we knew we couldn't step on copyrights. So uh, it, was a, it was a little bit of a tightrope walk. Um, but I maintain, I, I, I actually put this up on Facebook the other day because I think that somebody on Ain't It Cool News put up a picture of the creature from the Black Lagoon, them putting him into his suit. And I think it's the best monster suit ever made. Yeah. And I think the second is probably the alien from Alien. From Alien, and I'm. This is going to sound real egotistical. I think our creature, our Gilman from Monster Squad, is in the top five. That's Gilman's so great. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a case of um, uh, Stan. I think sketched it initially. Steve Wang sculpted it. Um, Tom Woodruff wore it. Um, but that's a case where we had to. We knew he was going to be have scales and right. gills, and we knew he'd be in the water, and we knew he'd probably be greenish. But he's not the same. He doesn't look like the the creature from the old movies. But he's he's pretty cool. What happens to those suits? They deteriorate. Oh, that's the worst answer. <laughs> no, what, what happens actually at, at Stan's shop and now um, Amalgamated Dynamics, uh, the, the shops that the guys from Stan's shop who've gone on. I mean, Stan's shop still exists, yeah. but it, sort of in name only. They do new casts of them and oh, cool. turn them into mech hats and, and statues and yeah. things like that. So as long as they have the molds, you can always make a new one. But foam rubber itself kind of goes away. Was... What was your first experience like helping construct a character like that in terms of being a monster fan and then getting to make your own monster? Do you have a first? That's a great question. Um, yeah, well, I, at the very beginning of Night of the Creeps has this ridiculous um, scene that opens on a spaceship in the far reaches of the galaxy. And uh, I had written these, these aliens that were uh, trying to steal this scientific specimen which ends up to be the kind of MacGuffin of the whole movie and so I, I actually designed I drew a, a, a little picture of what I thought the alien should look like and um, and David Miller who did the makeup effects and, and created the things for that movie actually kind of built it oh but, that's so cool so that was my that was that was what being a director was I was like can I design the creatures can I, <laughs> yeah. can I decide what the set looks like yeah can I decide who's in it yeah and this is my job? Like, I can, so, so basically, I can do everything, anything I want, really. Yeah? you got to be careful about lifting you know, cables and lights and things like that. But I would do that in a pinch, too. You know, unions be damned. It's like, we're right. behind schedule. I want to get more f- shots. Yeah. I'm going to pick the, up this Apple box. And, you know, if you want to call the union, go ahead. Bad as you want to be. Well. I make a monster. That's I'm what's making, up. I'm That's making right. some monsters. Well, None of the Creeps is a lot of fun. And, uh... It was about halfway through shooting or towards the end of that that Monster Squad got greenlit. That's the uh, Yeah, yeah. We actually we were greenlit, I think, in post-production. So we were editing Creeps, and the call came, okay, this one's next. But I think we had an inkling of it because I put a little tribute, I, I did a little um, piece of graffiti in Night of the Creeps that uh, alludes to the Monster Squad because I kind of knew it was going to be next. So, right. yeah. And that's in the uh, in the bathroom scene. Uh, that's right. 
on the stall wall. That's that right. right. When uh, when our, our, the character of JC, well, spoiler, <laughs> something happens to the character of JC. <laughs> he uh, makes sure his hair is nice and neat before he goes back out. Exactly he's, right. He's exactly checking right. it in the mirror and he wants to make sure he looks nice because because there's a prom coming up. That's or right. Yeah. He wants you know. Sorry, guys, we spoiled it for you. <laughs> Oh, you're going to know that this is the hair scene coming up. You know, up. actually, and, and all, and I've got to be honest, the, you know, the statute of limitations on spoilers uh, is a great question. Peter Hyams and Shane Black and I were having a lunch one day, and Peter was talking about Psycho. And Shane said something to the effect of, whoa, 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 hold, hold off there. <laughs> okay, and then when, when uh, uh, what's her name? There's John Gavin, and uh, who's, who's the, other, the other gal in Psycho. Help me out, guys. Uh, Vera Miles. Vera Miles. When Vera Miles goes to the house and, you know, we know that there's been murders and, 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 and Peter was, I can't remember the point he was making, but he was essentially telling the story of Psycho and Shane was like, whoa, hold on. And Peter laughed and he said, you know, I think the statute of limitations is up on Psycho. Because <laughs> <laughs> it came out in 1960. So, yeah, if it came out, I mean, yeah, there are people that are like are crazy about the spoiler alert stuff, and it just kills me. It's like, you know, like if it's within, uh, if it's if if it's a movie that's already on video and has been for a while or whatever, mm-hmm. like I think it's okay if we discuss it now. Or a classic that yeah. made millions of, of dollars. Ago, right. <laughs> it's this is Psycho is not obscure, Shane. This is not some obscure little French, <laughs> new, you know, new wave movie. So yeah, so. Um, th- it, it should come as no surprise that, <laughs> that there is death in Night of the Creeps. But it's fun death. There you go. And, we, and Psycho did come out too. Like It's amazing to me Like when you think back about – people used to just come into movies whenever they wanted back then. Like you come in in the middle, whatever. Wait, like, cause really? movies just Yeah, movies play all day like they or whatever. People well, would enter halfway. Psycho was the first movie that they said like absolutely nobody will be admitted oh. after the first five minutes That's of this great film. Trivia. Like they made this big stink about it because – It may have been Hitchcock's idea because he was um, – he, William Castle. There were a couple of directors. Howard Hawks would would have his his credit in movies, his signature. So the, the, that whole notion of the auteur before the French New Wave came up with the auteur theory, there yeah. were guys like Hitchcock and Castle who became kind of celebrities, who actually became a part of the selling of right. the movie. And Hitchcock used to make hilarious, very long trailers for his films of just him sort of walking around and talking. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that was, a, that was a gimmick that tied in with sort of like, this is, you know, a Hitchcock picture is a special picture. And in this case, you, and an you, experience, ha- you yeah. have to be there from the beginning or, 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 or we're not letting you in. Yeah. And what was crazy about that movie, too, is one of the very first ones where, spoiler alert, uh, the, what you think is the protagonist is killed off very early brilliant yeah. the, you know the most famous name in the film brilliant and you know and, and very violently um people did not see that coming and it's a great also just as a filmmaker it's a great lesson which is kind of tell the audience that anything can happen right um, and there are some films that have something shocking relatively up front, and then it never gets worse than that. But it's fine because it keeps the audience on the uh, on edge for the rest of the movie. Right. right. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's important. I mean, I know that when they when Whedon made the f- movie of Firefly Serenity, I'm not going to spoil who dies in that, but not everybody makes it through. And he, he felt like, well, I have to make the audience think that there's actual danger here. Yeah. And if I can kill off beloved characters, right. they're going to think anything could happen at any time. But yeah. if I don't, they'll just think it's just going to be loud noises and fireworks right. until the credits roll. Yeah. Which I thought was a pretty cool point. There's some wonderful storytelling in that movie. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Yeah, me too. 
There's a lot of movies that kind of did that early on. Where um, I mean, I remember when I saw L.A. Confidential for the first time, which is like one of my yeah. favorite mm-hmm. movies ever. And mm-hmm. it's not that early in the movie, but it's fairly early when you know, spoiler, Kevin Spacey mm-hmm. goes out and and it's done. You know, it's in about a, three quarters through. I think. Yeah, yeah. But it's done in a way that it's not you don't expect it, right. and you don't really see it coming. At Great the time. twist. And then you're like, what is going to happen? This world right. just opens up in a way that it's not just a movie anymore. Or I mean, the first ten minutes of Monsters Ball with Heath Ledger, like mm. there, you know, there's there's definitely things that. Or when they kill off Steven Seagal and yeah. executive decision in the first five minutes, thank you. <laughs> um, but then again, no one minded when that happened. It was like, all right, Steven Seagal's gone. <laughs> cool. Let some actors work. Lawman. <laughs> Was Monsters Ball ma- based directly on Monster Squad, it's or a just remake. a loose, shot shot. just a loose reinterpretation? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they had to redesign the monsters for Monster Ball. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> are you are you completely surprised at like the huge cult life that Monster Squad had with the video release and and just is big? It's I, I find that it's I watch it every Halloween. It's one of my movies that I always have on. I always have a party, and it's one of the ones we stream while we're doing it. Um, it seems like it's really beloved at this point. Where you, I'm, I'm very gratified to acknowledge that, and, and nobody is more surprised than me. Nobody. There's a real disconnect when you put your heart and soul into something, and it's greeted with crickets. Yeah. And then years and years later, you meet somebody who says, "You know, your movie changed my life." Hmm. And I, to me, it's like you mean the crickets. <laughs> <laughs> you mean when I was drinking, you know, Jack Daniels and being depressed. That your life was changing then. <laughs> and Could you have told me a while exactly, ago? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a, there's a very strange disconnect. Yeah. Well, uh, it's a, I mean, I know that they did not market that movie right at all because it was, it's like, it's either like, it's a, it's like a family movie, but there's monsters and maybe it's too scary for kids. This is another soapbox of mine. Yeah. You know what? I will not blame them. There's nobody, it's not like they're friends of mine that I'm going to talk out of school. I honestly don't know that they bo- botched the the release of that movie. I think the movie was too odd for its time. Right. Because it wasn't until years later that kids in jeopardy fighting monsters or warlocks yeah. or whatever it is became kind of uh, uh, popular. At that time, as you say, grown-ups' parents were afraid that their kids would be scared. Yeah. Right? And older kids thought it was for younger kids. So the audience was essentially neutralized. There was nobody who wanted to see it because they were they thought it was for somebody else. Right. Um, right. But you you take that exact same movie, you make it now, you rate it PG thirteen as we did, mm-hmm. and that's the sweet spot for studios. Right. Yep. It's crazy how things have changed. I mean, I was I think I was I was eighty seven, right? So I was eleven when that came out, mm-hmm. and it was like I was the perfect age for it. Like, perfect. I adored it when it came out. I I actually saw it in the theater, and then it was on HBO all the time. So I lived off of it there, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as did many others. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just one of those movies for me that my friends and I would always rent it and stuff. We wore that VHS out when it came out, and um, you know, Wolfman's got nards. We all said that. <laughs> you um, still say that. Well, there's like, there's actually, you know how those like those fake inspirational posters? Have you seen the one they've done for years? Mm-mm. There's all those ones that, that'll say like, you know, gravity, it's winning or whatever, and I'll have a picture of you know somebody falling off a mountain or whatever. Right. It's a picture of just, I think it's the old like Wolfman from like the 30s or whatever. It's a picture of him, mm-hmm. and then it just says Nards, he's got him. <laughs> it's so great. Uh, this cracks me up, but ah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't own that poster, but when oh, I saw it, I on. thought it was pretty Show funny. your back tattoo. <laughs> you, guys, you guys are comics, so you know you, when you come up with the catchphrase, you're always pleased when people take to it. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm a little more of the Ricky Gervais uh, extras thing. You know, we've got to have the catchphrase. <laughs> you know, Wolfman's got nods. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. Right. Fine. All right, yes. <laughs> he does. Okay. 
<laughs> true enough, as long as it's true. Presumably, however, there are other monsters in that movie who also do. Yeah. Frankenstein, I'm assuming, has a big nards. fairly large pair of nards. Talk about yeah, nuts right. and bolts, right? There you go. Get it? It's like a nuts joke. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? I don't no, get it. I'm pretty subtle when I, it comes to I, my humor. I see. So just think about it. And the casting was great, too. Tom Noonan is like phenomenal as Frankenstein. He's a great, great actor. Well, Tom had just done uh, Manhunter, uh, a favorite film of mine, uh, Michael Mann's uh, Lecter movie. Yep. And uh, Rob Cohen, who's one of our producers, um, was in, in cahoots with, with Michael Mann at that time. And so mm-hmm. he was a, kind of aware of this movie before it came out, and he thought he'd be good for it. And I met Tom and said, yeah, that's the guy. He's great. And then Duncan Rieger was fabulous as Dracula. And is it true that Liam Neeson was in the running for that? or? Um, let me clarify this. There was a scene in the screenplay that we ended up cutting out because we were behind schedule. You know, sometimes you cut scenes after you've shot them, and sometimes you cut before you shoot them because you realize this is just kind of trim- right. trimming. It's, right. Yeah, we're yeah. not going to use it. Um, there was a scene when the kids go into the scary mansion, but before Wolfman has nards, <laughs> where they go into a room and they're, and this kind of elderly... I don't know how elderly he was, but this this stranger comes out, this strange man comes out, and essentially starts asking them what they know. And it's very clear he wants to know if they know where the amulet is, and et cetera, et cetera. And Fat Kid, or Horace, looks in the mirror behind this guy and sees that he has no reflection and realizes, oh, this is actually Dracula. But mm-hmm. he, he sees no reflection except for a floating latex mask. Because oh. I always hate in movies where you yeah. have where you have somebody who's supposed to be somebody else. Even when I mean Sleuth does it. I mean even great movies do it, and I always go, "Oh, that's so and so." Right. Um, I know who that is. You're trying to fool me into thinking that's somebody else. Right. So I said we have to hire a different actor to play Dracula for this one scene, so that we and the kids won't know it's him, and we'll sell it with, "Oh, he put on a latex a mask." So that's awesome. Assuming right. they would. No, it's him. I mean, it actually doesn't really make any sense because I don't know if they've seen Dracula. But, <laughs> but anyway, we actually did hire Liam Neeson to play that scene, to play Dracula in that one scene, which oh, would wow. have been a day of shooting at most. And then we cut the scene out and paid him anyway. And just had lunch with him that day. <laughs> like, Liam. He didn't even show. Get- oh. No, we just, pay- we just paid him. I think he, he would be happy for the... Uh, yeah, that's a nice... The, you get paid and you don't have to do anything. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Giddy up. Uh, well, let's let's do first. Let's about do that first. point in the podcast. Uh, we have a different first question every podcast. It's a different first thing, like the first movies on the theater, etc. But we're fifty seven in, so they're getting a little different. Mm-hmm. But this is uh, tying in to Halloween, since we're releasing mm-hmm. it then. What was the first thing you were ever really afraid of? Be it a movie, person, or phobia? And did you ever get over that fear? Boy, I don't know if it was the first. In fact, I can I can confirm it isn't when I when I finish the the story. But there was a I, I grew up in a Victorian house, and there was a stairway in the back that my bedroom was next to. It was like the servants' stairway because this house was a hundred and like fifty yeah. years old, and it was the one thing in the house that my parents had never renovated that the previous uh, owners hadn't renovated. So it was this spooky stairway, and it went down. I was on the second floor. It went down into the back to uh, the pantry and the kitchen and whatnot. So there was no lights down there. So it was basically a spooky, dilapidated stairway. That led down into darkness. <laughs> and what, what my parents were thinking when they put me in that bedroom is beyond me. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I remember that quite vividly from the time I was around six years old. Um, but I know I knew about the Wolfman because then I started imagining that the Wolfman was at the bottom of those stairs. Oh, you could put anything in the bottom of a right, dark but, spot. But I knew about the Wolfman, so I was scared of him first. 
So like three days a month, that was the scariest staircase. Well, the other thing is if I, <laughs> if I had to get up, that's funny. <laughs> full moon took me a minute. Nut, the nuts and bolts I got pretty quickly, but the full moon thing. Um, well, I have to have, if I had to go potty in the middle of the night. You I'd, had to go down that stairway for I had everything? I pass it, oh. which is worse than going down it. Yeah. Anything could come out. Whoa. So that's my lame answer to that one. No, that's no, great. That's good. How about you, Vanessa? What was yours? I remember, I Terry Jones wrote, wrote a bunch of kids' books, like awesome fairy tale Yay. kind of books. Yes. And um, I'm a big fan of his. But I was reading those. My uncle got them for me when I was really little. And some of them are pretty dark that he has. And there's one, I don't know if it is The Princess and the Goblin, his version of that, but there are some goblin stories of his. And I loved these stories. And I would make my uncle, if he babysat, like my parents protected me from everything, but I had this fun uncle that loved to terrify me. And... I got really scared of these goblins, and I was sure, and this phobia lasted for like, oh, 10 years, that there were, at night, there were creatures' hands under your bed, and so like the only way I could get on my bed was a big running jump, or else they would suck me into the underworld, like that's what happens in The Princess and the Goblins, Mm -hmm. and I like broke my twin bed twice jumping on it so hard, because I was so scared that I would pounce on it and break the slats and I never told my parents what was happening I was like I don't know <laughs> I don't know what's happening under there <laughs> goblins <Awesome>. your turn <laughs> uh, I, I, the timeline is tough for me too I'm yeah. trying to figure out what the first thing was like I was really scared of getting shots when I was a kid is that the first thing but um, I think for me it was a story that I think was told to us like read to us when we were like around Halloween like at school or something, but it was terrifying. It was called Taylor Poe. Oh, heard I've heard this story. It you is really Poe? scary. It's scary. As it's hell. in one of those sto- those books that's like, are you afraid of the dog? One of yeah. those books. Yeah, and it's like basically like this Taylor in a nutshell. Really like this 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 hunter had like shot a creature in the yeah. woods and ate it. Um, but he didn't know what the creature he was. He didn't know what the creature was. And then he's like in his cabin or whatever and starts Taily hearing like po. this weird voice going like, Taily po, Taily po, I want my Taily po. And uh, basically that just goes on and on, yeah. like in increasing amounts of like, the, where's the voice coming from? It's closer. It's under his sheets. It's in his bed. Ah! <laughs> and then whatever the creature was, was the creature that he had like killed or something come back to reclaim its tail. <laughs> and like – Cuts him open and yep. takes his tail back, which you're like, kid, you're like, oh, and I will never eat anything that's ever shot and killed again because yeah. I don't want it taken from me awesome. in the middle of the night. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think it was probably Taylor Fo. Yeah, that is a scary story. It's pretty freaky. <laughs> not written by Terry Jones, though, I no, don't think. No, not one of his. Nicobobinus is my favorite Terry Jones story. Mm. Do you guys know that one? Mm, oh, it's so good. You should look it I up. had dinner with Terry Jones last year. Shut up. Why? I really did. Uh, we he came out to Sketchfest. We had him, and we did a screening of oh, two screens. We did Life of Brian, and we did Holy oh, Grail. My and then wow. he talked in between them and did stories oh stuff like that. And then God. afterwards, we went out to dinner, and it was like, "What do you talk about with Terry Jones?" And what um, did you talk about with Terry Jones? Yeah, he's really friendly and great, and uh, I can't even remember. We oh, just just chit chatted. It, it didn't. It wasn't awkward. It was like really. He's really he friendly. He's like warm. an endlessly creative person. I'm so. Yeah. Have you seen that. the the new documentary, the Python documentary? No, not yet. This I'm is so pre- I there's a lot of information in there yeah. that I would love to talk to him about. It's phenomenal, and uh, like the fact that they that the BBC was going to erase the entire series. What? Yeah, because they reused tapes. They used the tapes over oh, and over. BBC my used gosh. to reuse tapes, and they were going to they were going to erase them for reuse. Oh, yeah. and it was my I believe gosh. Terry Jones who said, "Can I buy them? <laughs> yep. Can I buy them?" And I said, <laughs> "Yep, yeah, sure. Here, get them out of here." 
Oh my gosh. So he owns the originals. That is insane. <laughs> I love it. No, he's great. I think we might try to. Can you bring come him back, back to Sketchfest the night well, that I'm there? We're well, talking about we trying to bring him back out. The hardest part about bringing <laughs> those guys out is they're from England, and it's like just the airfare alone is yeah. like astronomical. Yeah. Because um, you're not going to fly those guys like coach. <laughs> just tell him to get on a steamer just, yeah, ship. Can you get in the back weeks, of yeah. the plane, Terry? No. The other thing I would ask him is when they were at, uh, uh, where was it? Sundance? Where was it? Was it a big thing in Colorado? Was it part of Sundance or was it? They had a, a kind of a reunion thing. Oh, they, it was at the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen. Aspen, that's right. Mm-hmm. And Cleese made kind of allusions to them doing something together as a group that, like, thereafter, like next year. Ooh. And then nothing happened. I knew, yeah, I knew they, they were going to do a, a, a tour, maybe doing sketches, and, and Michael Palin was a holdout because he's... I know. saw something last year. What was the Python thing I saw? Well, they, when they put the documentary out, they did a couple of publicity dates. They did Jimmy Fallon, I think. Right, I saw that. Um, I saw a live Python show last year that had some of the cast members, I don't remember who, and then a little bit of like a, a cabaret aspect to it, mm-hmm. too. Well, Eric Idle does his show a lot. Yeah. Where he does songs and stuff. Because I've seen that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, because they're all over the place. They all live right. in different places, and, and they're all amazing. Yeah, Ugh. they're all. I mean, we always dream about trying to do a Python reunion at Sketchfest, but like, just the logistics of getting everybody there and like getting them all to agree to do it, right. and you know, making it worth their time. Also, as a fan, it's interesting to see the the dynamic change with them and the way mm-hmm. uh, you know if, if you love a band I mean you know the Beatles changed and yeah. you know everybody changes but just the, kind of the difference in the sensibility of say Holy Grail and Meaning of Life mm-hmm. it's they're almost like different guys they yeah they really are I saw John Cleese talk at UC Davis like maybe ten years ago ish mm-hmm. and it, it was a lecture with him and this other guy on spirituality and stuff. Oh yeah, well he mm-hmm. was he was very into psychology. And, yeah, and, and it was like a very clinical, like scientific approach to Scientology to, to that spirituality. Yeah, spirituality. <laughs> like it was a yeah. very different, interesting, weird slant on it. Yeah. And then because my mom was like on second under the chancellor at UC Davis, she took me backstage at the time and I got to meet him. Oh, wow. uh, and he signed my like uh, handkerchief album. Mm-hmm. Matching tie <laughs> handkerchief. Yeah, that one. And then he was just like, well, did you enjoy it? And I was like, yeah, I really did. He's like, I'm always worried that people are going to come up and like, just do the silly walks. And, you right. know, yeah. Sure. Yeah. and I was like, no, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. You know, like, obviously I would have died if you'd done a silly walk. <laughs> but, you know, it, I still, you know, I not, I'm not upset by it. But he was seriously worried about because he's doing a couple of these college, like, tour dates is that he was going to get pissed off people in the audience well, who were I mean, like, it, make funny faces. It sort of ties into what we were talking about earlier. Like, you have that group of creative people that you can produce things with and you're friends and you're funny, but you're also growing up together and so things are, are going to change and people's careers are going to change and, I mean, I think they're a good example of a group that could change their sensibility but it still felt unified, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which is really impressive. True that. Let's, here's uh, to you, Monty Python. Here's Bipon. to you, Monty <laughs> Yeah, I mean... Let's, uh, let's do my questions, shall let's we? Let's do your questions. All right, so I've got five questions for you, Fred, that are just kind of little trivia things from the stuff you've worked on. I think you'll do pretty good on these. Uh, question one, you wrote and directed the fun zombie flick, Night of the Creeps. What makeup artist and producer plays a zombie extra in the film? So, what? His name sounds like a patch that you would get to stop smoking. That's a great clue, sort of. Right? Producer? He's a producer. He's actually on a zombie show right now. Plays a zombie in the movie. I guess he was an extra, according to the IMDb database. Um, that would have to be... Well, Rob Kurtzman was one, mm-hmm. um, and Howard Berger was one. In fact, the only member of KNB 
who uh, isn't in Night of the Creeps or didn't work on it is Greg Nicotero, who I, really funny. who I just met about two months ago at a Masters of Horror dinner for the oh, first time. Oh, my gosh. That's, what IMDb, that's who IMDb said it was. Never, that's funny. He <laughs> may have been on the set once or twice. Yeah. But it wasn't actually. But I didn't meet him until about two months ago. Whoa. Yeah. And well, we have not, corrected you, IMDb. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. You've debunked it. Yeah. Debunked. Kurtzman and Burger is the answer to your question. Cool. <laughs> the actual answer. They had, they had one of those. I think they had Burger on there along with Nick Terra, but they didn't have mm. this one. Uh, all right, question two. You wrote the story for the goofy Richard Grieco action comedy If Looks Could Kill. Oy. Uh, <laughs> you originally envisioned it for what actor? Anthony Michael Hall. Cha-ching. There you go. Would have been a very different movie, I think. I actually wrote it for Anthony Michael Hall, who I met at that time and thought was a genius. Um, and uh, when I met him, I actually spent a little bit of time with his mom. And uh, she told me that somebody else thought he was a genius, who was a director in England named Stanley Kubrick, who wanted him to play the lead in Full Metal Jacket. Really? And, what? And Michael's mom said, you know, he's young. Maybe life's too short right now. Which I think in in terms of being a mom is yeah. the best possible. Because Kubrick is a, is a god to me. He's, a, he's one of my biggest heroes. But I do know that people sign up for a movie with him and... That's two years of their life. Yeah. Yep. And they get a little brain beat up sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Something that I think on Eyes Wide Shut, there was one scene where Tom Cruise just walks in a room and he made him do it 48 times or something like that. No dialogue. <laughs> just walks in and opens the door. Yeah. 48 oh, takes. Yeah. To Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. done a couple of films at that point. And walked into rooms. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly. I'm just not sure what my motivation is. <laughs> trying to get in the room? Am I not showing that? Do I look like I want to leave the room? See, I haven't met Cruise, but what I get from him is he was happy to do it every time. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, and enthusiastic. wait, 36, take 36. Let's do it again, Tom. Oh, damn. I'm going to nail it this time because I know what I did wrong. Right. I feel like his eyes would be way more open than yours. <laughs> like, he seems so on fire with, like, I keep yeah, turning the it. knob to the right. I know it opens both ways, but <laughs> it should be to the left, I think, because then my gate will be better as a. <gasps> I want to turn it to the right, but I, my obsessive compulsive sensibilities make me turn it to the left. <laughs> Kubrick's like, we got it. Yeah. <laughs> We're losing the light. All right, question three. Uh, you wrote five episodes and directed one episode of the horror series Tales from the Crypt. The Crypt Keeper was voiced by what prolific voice actor? John Cassier. Yep. He's got like roughly 400 credits on IMDb. This mm-hmm. guy works and works and works and works and works. Cassier, I just met her. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You should make him a t-shirt with that written on it. Send it to him. I like that. I think that and Victor Borg are the highlights. Yeah. <laughs> Question four. You were a consulting producer and writer on the Scott Bakula Captain Star Trek mm. series Enterprise. The only actors to appear in both Enterprise and the original Star Trek series are Joseph Ruskin, Clint Howard, Jack Donner, and what other actress known as the voice of the Enterprise? That will be Major Barrett Roddenberry. That is. Boom. Good job. That's not an easy name to say either. No. You owned it. <laughs> and finally, question five. I'm a nerd. <laughs> We've established this film. You co-wrote and directed the cult creature feature in Monster Squad. What TV star had a cut scene as a boy selling comic books in the school hallway? That would be Screech himself, Dustin Diamond. Boom. Indeed. Before his porn career. Do you guys remember that? Uh, yeah, I remember that he was dabbling just, in it. I just remembered. No, he was in some. Maybe? Yeah, that's, that's, I think that counts as dabbling. Oh, I thought you said <laughs> downloading it. And I was like, how does Cole know what Dustin Diamond downloads? <laughs> Look. He knows more about Dustin than we I know suspect. his yeah. browsing history. I've got a clone computer. He's got cookies set up and those cookies come straight to my cookie jar. 
<laughs> what? what? <laughs> now it's time for my questions, which are going to be much more difficult. Just that. Those are kind of tricky, actually. Yeah. Have you ever met an Olsen twin? I used to know someone who lived in a building with one of the Olsen twins, so I have seen one. <gasps> Silently moving <laughs> through the halls? <laughs> no, it was an exterior uh, entrance, so I saw her in the courtyard. So the shot would be like exterior courtyard. Day. An Olsen twin. Exterior courtyard day. <laughs> An Olsen twin comes through the gate. Ooh! She seems preoccupied. <laughs> we need to go again. We need 46 takes of this. That's right. I've come through the door before. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Every, every story that we get of the Olsen twins only paints a more mysterious picture of who they could be. They're yes. always moving through scenes. I'd like, to say hi, I'd like to say hi to Trent, who uh, recently uh, I, I learned is a fan of Monster Squad, who is uh, the brother of the Olsen. <gasps> hi, oh. Trent. I have a friend that's friends with Trent. I don't know him personally at all. Oh. But um, I, of course, I saw excited. Trent's friends, who you're friends with, in the courtyard. Oh, my gosh. Exterior courtyard night. I can't Party. see. <laughs> uh, all the right. thrum of <laughs> crickets fills the night air. That's my cricket sound. Is that a cricket regurgitating food for its young? What's going on here? (laughs) Okay. Um, Would you rather time travel for one full year to anywhere you want to go, but it's a year-long time travel, or have the power of invisibility for 12 years? I'd time travel. Where would you go? Do you know? The 40s. Ooh. What a heyday for you. Grease paint? I think I'd come back to Hollywood in the 40s. That'd be pretty awesome. That would be so fun. But that's like, boy, that's tough. I'd like to go to London in the 60s, too. Ooh, yeah, baby. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> definitely time travel. Invisibility would get old. I know. I agree. I'm glad that you chose that. I think it's a stronger choice by far. We're separating the men from the boys with these questions. <laughs> okay. Men over here. If boys. you could do a monster mashup, <laughs> the monster mashup, which two monsters would you combine? Combine two monsters? It's crazy, I know. Wow. I'd love to come up with a really funny answer to that. I'm uh, trying to think of one, too. Yeah, if you guys can... Yeah. Franken-man. <laughs> it's a man <laughs> and Frank is... Frankula. He's Frankula. a vampire made from dead bodies. Frankenstein. Yeah, oh, got, that's his name, all right. Yeah, i got to be honest. I don't know that this is yielding um, the, the level of comedy that it might. <laughs> what about like an octopus monster? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have one. Wolfstein. Wolfenstein. Well, that's Wolfenstein. Castle Wolfenstein. You've been beat to the punch on that. Oh, great. What about Count Chocula? It's like chocolate and Count Dracula put together. I would combine a ghost with Charlie Sheen. Ooh. was the punchline. That is the punchline. It's Sheen Spooky. Moving on to more hard-hitting <laughs> journalism. <laughs> Charlie Sheen, the crazy ghost. <laughs> craziest ghost around. This is a winning idea, guys. Haunts crazy. He haunts crazy. This summer, he haunts crazy. That's good. That's the catchphrase. Or is crazy haunting you? <laughs> Hashtag winning. That's what it would be. Great. Okay. I love that idea. Um, a wizard appears and lets you know that you have pleased him. He's granting you a film with a male and female star of your choice, as long as it is an action movie that paints wizards in a positive light. Which actors would you choose, and what kind of be, movie? Has to be wizards. In there it must be wizards. Anything else can happen. 
Um, so you get any dream man and any dream woman. Real dream. Well, I would I, I would kill to work with Paul Giamatti. Ooh, good choice. Yeah, he's amazing. I, I really like him. So that's going to be him. And um, who's been amazing lately? Um, um, Mary I Kate. thought Annette Benning was awfully good. <gasps> but, uh, uh, the kids are all right. Oh, so good. Yeah, so good. Great in that. Um, and I'm also a big fan of Sarah Polly, who I think may oh, yeah. lend herself more to the wizard world. She could own that. <laughs> I think I'll go with Giamatti and Sarah Pauly in the Wizard movie. That's a great cast. Now that's something wizards would line up for. <laughs> Put on your big hats. Okay, and Mr. Two, your last one. What's the focus. Sheen catchphrase again? Winning. Haunt crazy. Oh, oh yeah. Haunt crazy. Yeah. This year he's haunting crazy. He's haunting this summer crazy. he haunts crazy. He haunts crazy. <laughs> I love that. Okay, great news. How much is this duplex? Well, mm-hmm. I'm giving it to you for a price mm-hmm. because, well... <laughs> Charlie Sheen lived here. What? That's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Winning. Winning again. Every night, the furniture <laughs> rearranges itself, and I can hear the sound of him humping and a tiger giving blood. It's so weird. <laughs> this summer. <laughs> okay. Good news. You've been picked to write and direct the next James Bond flick. Daniel Craig has decided he doesn't want the role. Who's the new Bond? And who's the new Villian? Villian. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I think Jason Isaac would make a tremendous James Bond. I feel like you've thought of this before. I have. Yeah. Um, um, more so even than Clive Owen, who I would also Ooh, consider strongly. Too, yeah. um, but I think we've gone... Bond has gone in so many different directions yeah. that... that, that the, the more old school, the better. And he described, you know who Hoagie Carmichael is? Fleming described him as looking like Hoagie Carmichael. <laughs> um, and if you ever see a picture of... He, he, doesn't, look, he doesn't look like Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> <laughs> That's my answer, Jason. Who, Victor Borga would be a great Bond, right? <laughs> <laughs> what, who would you have as a villain? Ooh. God, I wish you'd asked me before because I could spend an hour coming up with an answer to this one. You just email us later, and we'll put a robot voice on. <laughs> well, let me think about it. Maybe I'll have it for you by the end of the show. You guys, you're a big Bond fan, right? Mm-hmm. Do you, who is your ultimate Bond that has been a real Bond? Uh, well, I think Connery is the best of yep. the bunch. Um, uh, but I'm going to give Craig number two uh, he, I think he's great. He's I, really good. I think he may be the best. Uh, not that he's a better actor than Connery, but I think he's the, he, he gives the best performances of that role, I think, than anybody's And ever he done. is a total package, I really do think, as a Bond. Like, he, he's not too fancy, you know what I mean? You, be, you believe him as a rough guy. And well, he's, he's the most world-weary Bond. Like, he's, I think, has a, uh, kind of communicates a lot, a lot more complexity and sadness to Bond than the other Bonds have. Yeah. The, 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 well, it's, that's... Part of that is the, is the scripts, true, right. and and what they've conceived, uh, true, true. And his blue sw- swimsuit suit he wore, and the blue swimsuit that, that conveyed a lot of stuff, man. <laughs> that was so conveyancy, <laughs> <laughs> so conveyancy. Well, good job on those, yeah, and did a great uh, job. yeah, and on the trivia. This was the spookiest episode ever. Oh, just really quick. You were on the Gremlin set, and this is Halloween, and I was also really afraid of Gremlins. You're a big fan of the Gremlins? I was really afraid. Now I'm a fan. Revisiting it, it's funny those things as a kid that terrify you, and then you go back and you're like, really? 
I should have been okay with that. But my sister had a gremlin's bank in her room, and I was afraid to go in the room because he was guarding it. Mm. And it was... Don't put coins in it after midnight. <laughs> was it Stripe? <laughs> was it the bad one? Stripe? No, it was the good one. It was Gizmo. It was Gizmo, yeah. Oh. But it still scared me. Gizmo. You know who voiced Gizmo, right? No. Howie Mandel. <gasps> Howie? Yeah. Two Howies in one episode. Son of a gun. <laughs> well, that's very good. Thanks. That was Howie himself. Thanks, Howie, for coming in for that small bit. I can't believe you didn't have me in the episode. <laughs> Sorry, no. Howie. You, we, you've done your job. Go back. <laughs> Did you get to see the creatures? Yeah, I was actually my uh, my college roommate, Ethan Wiley, who wrote uh, House with William Cat. Um, he wrote the screenplay. I wrote the story. Uh, and he also wrote and directed House 2, the second story. Um, Ethan was a puppeteer on Gremlins. He actually puppeted uh, Gizmo. <gasps> oh, my nice. gosh. You met Gizmo? I did. Yes. What was that like? I've never met a puppet. And I'm not joking right now. You know, you see people interacting. I've gone to the like the puppet up shows and things like that. The, mm-hmm. um, but you see people interacting with Muppets, and they can't. you can't not believe it's its own entity. Have you no. had that experience? Well, with I was puppet? really, I was really into puppets as a kid. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm, you know, I speak from experience. Yeah. It, it depends on the puppeteer to give them life. Yeah. Bad. There's nothing worse than a bad puppeteer where the arms are all cattywampus and they kind of the head is cocked to one side. It's like, oh, you're not really trying very hard. <laughs> but <laughs> Make it's a, it come to life. It's a form of acting. It really yeah, is. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you, if you look at you know Henson and Frank Oz and footage of them back in the day, it's mm-hmm. like, wow, these are real actors. It's pretty great. And it's amazing too how like they all. They all puppeteer differently. They all move differently. They yeah. walk differently. With theirs, you know, some people are very specific with every little like arm movement. Mm-hmm. Other people just kind of like go crazy with the arms and stuff like that. It just it's it's amazing when you really look at the technique. Puppets are like people too. Well, it's funny. This is a, a sideline, but but CG, you know, computer graphic effects is a big thing now. Is like uh, how how real does it look and yeah. how how long is it going to be in vogue and are things going to change and this and that. And if you look at Yoda in Empire Strikes Back and then look at Yoda in any of the prequel films, it's a different character. Yep. And although I don't mind the one in the prequels, I have problems with the movies, but I don't mind Yoda himself, you know. I just don't believe that he's there. On the, I don't believe he's been photographed. Right. It right. feels fake to me. But you look at that puppet in Empire Strikes Back, and that's one of the best performances in that movie. And he's made of rubber. Yeah, I love it when they – when nowadays it's rare, but sometimes, like I guess in Attack the Block. I was going to just say Attack the Block, yeah. Which they, I haven't seen. I have not seen it yet Spoiler either. alert. Oh, you haven't seen it? I didn't it's, get out to it. I'm going to have to great. watch it on DVD. It's, but they do actual creatures in that, and you can totally tell. I mean, like you feel – the presence of the monsters and like, it's so I would scary. rather cool. I would rather catch like oh there's a zipper yeah exactly but feel like they're actually in the room with them than terrifying people think yeah like, oh my gosh a computer made that I just, there's some nothing sadder to imagine than the actor on, on the soundstage run for the guy in tennis balls right in exactly. the tennis ball suit nothing against it when it works yeah. but I I just feel there's a disconnect and I, I think um, it's really doing a disservice to a whole generation of, of audiences right now because yeah. I fell in love with movies as a kid and a lot of the movies that I love they're strings and zippers right um, that don't ruin the movie and in fact in a way I like them more and I think the movies that are made now they're so noisy and la- and quick cutting and mm-hmm. the CGI effects there's kind of a a distance it's yeah. almost like some, a lot of movies now are putting up a wall between the audience and the movie, like d- defying them to, to take it into their heart and to really mm. care about it. That's just my, that's my two cents. Yeah. Because I find that, you know, I see things and it just goes in one eye and out the other. 
Whereas back in the day, maybe you just have to be young. Maybe you have to be young. I don't think so. I love Valcor. <laughs> Falcor the Luck Dragon? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, there are some characters that you can see. Maybe it is tying into a nostalgia. But what was recently? Oh, and um, what was the Steven Spielberg movie? Not 8mm. Super 8. Right. Super 8, yeah. J.J. Abrams? Um, yeah. There, I, feel, I feel like you can tap into that. When the magic is there, or any kind of magic, you can tap into your little inner child. And I think there's that idea that That's you don't true. have to see it when you're young. Yeah. As long as you feel like... You feel like that spirit is behind it. Instead of it's been glossed over by 100 people staring at computer screens, you feel like somebody did something, you know? Well, there definitely is a different experience when you grew up with something when you didn't. Because there's yeah. certain movies now that, like, uh, I loved when I was a kid that I'll show my wife, and I'm, I get, like, 30 minutes into it, I'm like, oh, my God, this does not hold up Yeah. <laughs> and she's watching it for the first time, like, you must hate me right now. <laughs> um, but then others that do, that really yeah. do hold up, and you're like, I can see why I was – in love with it when I was right. a kid because I would I would take my kids to it now and if I was seeing it for the first time I'd be like this is such a great experience yeah. yeah there's just others that just for some reason there's elements of it that for some reason attach to your psyche when you're a kid but didn't really make a movie <laughs> right yeah. and then you watch it now and you're like oh wow okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay the pirate movie sorry honey oh, <laughs> you can get you. oh yeah the pirate movies are really good example Aww. well I confess even as a kid I didn't go see the pirate movie. <laughs> there you go you're a kid with class. There you go. No, well, thanks that, but... so much for coming out. Yeah, Fred. this was such a treat. I had a, I had a blast, guys. We did, too. Uh, you can follow the podcast on uh, Twitter at PMC Podcast. I'm at Cole Stratton. And I'm at Vanessa Ragland. And thank you guys for listening. Have a special day. Bye. Subscribe to the Pop My Culture Podcast on iTunes. Check us out online at popmyculturepodcast.com. And follow us on Twitter at PMC Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye.